Find the life you didn't think was possible with the Jesus you never knew. Together, let's slow down a little and pay better attention to the most significant person in history. Welcome to the podcast, Paying Ridiculous Attention to Jesus, with your hosts, Rick Lawrence and Becky Hodges, brought to you by Lifetree. Visit us at JesusCenteredLife.com. Hi, listeners. This is Season 2, Episode 10, brought to you by Lifetree at JesusCenteredLife.com. My name is Rick. I have a scratchy, gravelly voice today because, yes, half of our entire team at group, like probably 100 people, are sick at this very moment. We've had... Flu shot fail. Yeah, that's the voice of the Becky Nader, who was out for a whole week a sick. A whole week. And after being out for a whole week sick, I have to say that the wheels around here almost fell off when she was away. But she says she's all well, or is she? Hmm. I also have a scratchy voice, and I'm hoping that I don't start coughing while we record this. Well, here we are back back in the saddle again. So today we're going to explore a big, hairy, audacious question. So the Bible, of course, is the best-selling book in all of history, which makes it ironic that so many people think it's normal to have a copy of it, but so few of them have actually read the whole thing or even understand much of what they already have read. So the big hairy question is, what's the Bible all about anyway? And why is it so important to read it? I mean, we know that kind of on an outward, inward sort of way, we're supposed to read the Bible because it's important for us to read the Bible, especially if you've grown up in the church and you're a follower of Jesus. That's one of those givens that you're supposed to be reading the Bible. But that sounds pretty much like a task or a checkbox or whatever. Uh, so is it a like a handbook for life? Is it, I've heard people call it life's little instruction manual? Is it a book of principles we follow so that we can have a better life? Is it a rule book that helps us uh, toe the line in life? Or is it a thing that we turn to when we're really desperate for help or for answers? I, I've heard all of these things in the past. Um, the, the Bible's a funny thing. It, it, people have a funny relationship with it. So today we're going to explore this big, hairy question with a close friend of mine and a brilliant thinker, and a, he's a kindred, ruined-for-Jesus adventurer kind of person. He is Dr. Ken Castor. So Ken was my partner in crime for creating the blue letters feature in the Jesus-centered Bible, and that's where we highlighted in blue type um, almost 700 places in the Old Testament that point to Jesus, and then we wrote these little blue caption boxes that explain the connection. Ken and I, uh, I've told this story many times, it's just so crazy. When we conceived of this feature in the Bible, I, I asked Ken if he would kind of help me spearhead this, and so I invited him to come to my house to live for a few days, and I thought, oh, we can knock this out maybe if, if we work really long days and Ken's there for three days. So at the end of that first little three-day uh, stay, we got through the Pentateuch. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I think Ken came to live at my house and sit at my kitchen table like f- maybe three or four more times before we finally got finished with that whole process. But I would have to say for both of us, it was a transformational process to do this. And after the fact, we realized nobody had ever done this with the Bible before. So anyway, Ken is the author of a book called Grow Down, which is for young adults, and a devotional for adults called Make a Difference. So that's, that's a pretty long introduction. Ken, why don't you say hello? <laughs> 
Hello. I'm glad to be with you today. That's great. Thanks for joining us. So um, let's just jump right into this. Uh, let's talk about some of the common emotions that people have around reading the Bible. What, not just our own, but you know, stuff we run into with other people. What, what are some of those uh, common emotions that we run into? Uh, reverence. Oh, what, what do you mean by that? Well, I think some people think it's it's a holy book, and so they mm. put it on their shelf and they never touch it again. <laughs> so it's like a it's like a talisman that it's important to have in your house because it exudes a holy aura. That's right. That's yeah. right. So you better have one, but you might not want to touch it. <laughs> yeah, I I could see that. There there was um actually my growing up there was like this basket by the front door. And we would all like, we had, you know, those little Bible carriers in, you know, around our Bibles that had like the handles and the pockets and stuff. And we would pick our Bibles up, take them to church and then throw them in the basket. And that's where they would stay for the rest of the week. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. So what can we learn from that pattern? And, you know, I remember the first Bible I got, it was this little red Bible that I got at confirmation and it was hardback and it it was it honestly opening it it looked impossible to read for a kid it was one of those kind of bibles it was pre yeah. it was before they made actual student bibles or, or the precious moments bible which was my first bible becky i have never touched a precious moments <laughs> I bible i had a so. pink precious moments bible of course you did <laughs> that's nice see you're of a different generation than me becky we we didn't have the luxury of precious moments bibles i got my red hardback impossible to read bible what made it special was that my name was in it and i was given it on like a special occasion which seemed like an honor but then it's more like a trophy i guess is how i saw it when i was a kid kind of that it's kind of like what you said ken like a talisman but more like uh the same kind of trophy I'd keep on my dresser to remind me, oh, I did that. <laughs> right. Right. I think some people approach the Bible uh, with confusion. So they, they know that it's mm-hmm. supposed to be a good instructional book, but they just don't know how to begin. They don't know, they don't know where to read it or how to read it or, or what some of these funny words like lamentations or malachi are all about. <laughs> Malachi, that's the that's the Kentucky pronunciation. They got to the dietary laws, and then they were like, "I'm out." <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand this. Which I mean, it right. leads it leads into another truth. I think that that we've talked about, Becky and I've talked about before, which is uh, the Bible can represent uh, kind of a, a a relationship of guilt. Meaning, it's the purpose of the Bible is to tell us what we're not and where we're screwing up, and what we should be doing that we're not doing right now. And so it can produce kind of this f- sort of force field around it that makes keeps us away from it because we don't really want to know the thing, mm-hmm. all of the things we're doing wrong. Well, according to Barna, the, re- the number one reason why teenagers don't read the Bible is because they feel guilty when they read it. Mm. So yeah, that's, and that's partly our, our fault. I, I was telling Rick right before this that when I was a teenager— the only time that I ever read the Bible was when I was in trouble and my mom would like choose a section of scripture and make me write it over and over again. <laughs> or I would be like forced to go to my room and have to read like lamentations for an hour until oh. I became like a better person. <laughs> but I was a teenager, so that wasn't really possible. There's, here's Dr. Phil. How, how's that working for you, Becky? <laughs> it didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> Can you, you lead young adults 
uh, in your role as a, as a college professor, and you're trying to get them to read the Bible. What are, what are some of the pushbacks or difficulties or hurdles that you face in doing that? Well, I think there is a feeling of, of being overwhelmed by it. It's a big book. It's a bigger book than most people pick up nowadays. And it is filled with a lot of different stories. And so it's, it's just a lot to maintain in one's mind. And, and to, you know, to try to become somebody who knows the Bible is a daunting task, I think. So a lot of people, you know, they, they want to dip their toe in it and get something good out of it. But to jump in and, and swim in it is a frightening that's, idea. That's an interesting thing. It's, it's kind of this underlying assumption that only experts, people super committed, can really get the whole meaning of the Bible out of it, um, which is another daunting reason to not read it. You know, and it, it's just the structure of it itself. You know, dozens of authors written over a couple of hundred years, all pieced together in one book. What? It's one book. Well, actually, it's a collection of a bunch of books, but, well, how do all those fit together? And why is there an Old Testament? And, oh, yeah, Jesus is the middle of that. And so there's just so many things about it. It's such a complex, on the surface, thing to, to get your mind around. I think there's plenty of reasons why it sits on the shelf for, for a lot of people. Yeah, people come at it with, with an idea that the Old Testament is, is old and it's decrepit and it's, it's filled with God's wrath. And the New Testament is supposed to be filled with love and it's supposed to be flowery and, and it has hippies in it or something like that. And, and so then when you open up the pages of Scripture and you find, you find something different than what you're looking mm-hmm. for, it's, it can be really hard to wrap your mind around it if, if you're not willing to kind of walk through it and take your time and, and walk with others through it. So yeah. a lot of people want to read the Bible on their own privately, and, and, you know, you keep it private, and I think that hinders a lot of people as well. Because it's best in, <laughs> done in community where you can talk about what you're reading. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it needs to be shared uh, with others. It was written to be a revelation uh, to this world. So if we only keep it to ourselves, then we're, we're actually limiting our own uh, ability to dive into it. What's interesting is that in the in the New Testament, we can kind of concoct some pr- some fairly practical reasons why it's maybe important that we dig into the New Testament because it's uh, 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 it's a story of Jesus and it's a story of what it looks like to live your life for Jesus. But when we look back into the Old Testament, we think, well, why would I want to go there and let a bunch of you know scraggly bearded prophets <laughs> scream at me? <laughs> what, what what what's the point of that? And so. I wonder, let's talk a little bit about our own stories, our own journeys of Bible reading, our own relationship with, with Bible reading. You know, let's just maybe give a brief overview of that, what that looks like for each of us. So, Be- Becky, what did it look like for you? Well, I shared what it was like for my younger days. Um, and then that— yeah, So it, it's basically a, a story of, of Annie. You were you were abused <laughs> by the Bible. Abused by the Bible. It's a hard knock life, Becky. <laughs> yeah, I think that was that was really what it was. It was you know the Bible became a punishment, so that's how it was applied to my life. And then I wandered for some some years. Um, and then when when Jesus got a hold of me, um, and and I think this is key. I think um, I didn't do this. Jesus did this. When he got a hold of me, he he instilled this desire 
in my heart to know everything about him. And so when I went back to the Bible, I did it in a completely different way. I, I went back to it because I was trying to discover something and I stopped applying it to my life. I started applying it to his life. And when I did that, I wasn't looking at every passage and going, you're not measuring up, you're failing, you're not, you're not right. I was going, oh, this is, this is his heart. This is who he is. Um, and it was a totally different experience. And it was one that I really was excited to. I also, I went to Biola and I have a minor in biblical studies. So I was also required to read the entire Bible a few times as part of my studies, which was a completely different experience. It was way more academic than when I first became a Christian and I was hungry and starving to understand the heart of God. And that was way more fun. That was more like an epic. I, it, in fact, I was 21 years old and I joined this 5 a.m. Bible club where we would get up at five in the morning every Tuesday and we would serious. We were serious. And, and just like you said, Ken, it was a group of us and we were just unpacking the Bible together, which is probably weird to hear that 20 year olds were doing this, but we (laughs) lived, I lived by the beach. So we would meet at the beach and we would do it there. And then we would go surfing afterwards. So she's a hippie. (laughs) I am a total hippie. (laughs) Ken, what about you? Um, my my parents encouraged me to uh, just embrace and, and jump fully into a, a life with Jesus. So when I was a kid, uh, I remember learning some verses like in Psalm 119 about loving God's commands even more than gold. And so I, I think I, you know, the Bible never was hung over my head. It was never a scary book. It was just encouraged, like, Ken, jump into this mm. and discover what it's about. So I, I, the, more, the longer I live, the more I realize that's kind of a rare story. That is rare. I, don't, I don't hear that too often. Um, when I was 16, my mom let me start writing verses on my wall in my bedroom. Oh, so, you created your own Bible verses? That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, my own verses. I made them up. No, I, on, on a drywall, on one wall where you couldn't see it until you walked into the room, you would turn, you'd turn around in the room, and I, I had plastered the entire wall with verses from Scripture. So, and I'd drawn, I'd visualized it, and I'd, I'd drawn things, gotten kind of artsy about it all. And, and I just remember thinking how alive the Bible seemed. And it just it became a part of who I was. So I've, just, I've always loved diving into Scripture and, and, and trying to understand it more, knowing that, that God was trying to um, do something with this amazing book. It's so a, that's it, kind of my story. It's, it's a rare one. I, I don't hear that too often. It's a good thing that you ended up finding an occupation that actually pays you to do what you did when you were a kid. Yeah. You mean you mean talking about Scripture and, yeah, exactly. and getting artistic and creative about exactly. communicating it? Yeah. yeah. You know, what's funny about this, too, is that I mentioned before, Ken has stayed at our home many times, so my fam- he's been integrated in our family, uh, and uh, you know we spent, Ken and I, many, many, many long hours at my kitchen table uh, pouring— go- basically marching through the Old Testament looking for Jesus. And so um, my, my family has heard, heard us uh, laugh and cry and wrangle things out. But the times that Ken would stay at my house, he stayed in my daughter Lucy's bedroom. So Lucy moved in with my youngest daughter, and Ken would stay in my daughter Lucy's bedroom. And I just remember the, the first night he stayed there, he, he went into the room, he closed the door, and on the back of Lucy's door 
was basically Ken's door from when he was a kid. Because yeah. my daughter Lucy also plastered the back of her door with little scripture passages that had little drawings around them. And I honestly, I didn't even know she had done the whole door <laughs> until Ken pointed it out. So maybe you found some kindred spirit with Lucy when you uh, slept in her room all those nights. But, you yeah. know, my own story of reading the Bible is kind of epic, actually. It's, it's, it's like two black and white um, eras of my life. Up until when I was in college, reading the Bible was a chore and a boring and a boring activity and a dead activity and a supposed to activity. I mean, I grew up in the church and I was involved in youth groups, but reading the Bible was like going to school and having to read the textbook. You know, you 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 just would get away with as little as possible, basically. So I'm up at college in my freshman year, and because of a uh, I had a really hard freshman year for a variety of reasons. I was really physically ill, spent some time in the hospital when I was a freshman in college. I missed out on some classes because of that. And I had a really disorienting experience trying to integrate into school. And uh, because of that, I was more desperate. I was more open. I was more needy, I guess is a way of saying it. And I had some friends who were going to a charismatic church. I had never been to one before. And they kept encouraging me to go to it, so I went with them to it. And first of all, the shock of going to a church service that's like two hours long was almost more than I could bear. But but that charismatic church, the thing that it planted in me that has never left me is that the people in that church believed that God wasn't contained in this book in history, that he was alive and active and did stuff in the moment. And they encouraged a life-filled and led by the Spirit, which I really knew nothing about. So they they would every week invite people to invite the Spirit to be filled in you and live in you more fully. And so one, one of those Sundays, I decided to do that. I still remember going back to my dorm room and sitting alone in my dorm room and, and inviting the Holy Spirit to come fill me up for the very first time. And wow— the biggest difference that happened, like turning on a light switch, is I immediately had a hunger for Scripture that I had never had before. I mean, when I picked up the Bible, I was like a, a voracious reader. That it, it, I, I still to this day can't believe what a difference that made, but that changed everything for me. Um, and the fact that I had invited a deeper experience of, of Jesus and invited the Holy Spirit to have freer reign in me and fill me up, produced this tremendous hunger for, for the Bible. It wasn't any longer a textbook. It was food for me. And Yeah, Hebrews, Hebrews 4 talks about the Word of God being alive and active, living and active. And so you, you caught a hold of some of that. Yeah, and, and uh, it's never stopped. Uh, yeah. Even to this day, it's 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 like sitting down to a good meal for me when I read when I read the Bible. So let's transition to talking a little bit about the the kind of the central question here. I mean, the umbrella question we're going after is, well, what is the Bible really all about? So Ken, because you have doctor in front of your name, you get to go first. What <laughs> what what is the Bible? really all about from your perspective and your experience? You know, the, the way I love to explain this now is, is imagining walking with Jesus. And 
there's a scene at the end of the Gospels in, in Luke chapter 24. Jesus has been crucified, but now there's, a, there's, this, there's this word going around that Jesus has been resurrected, and, and there's two guys who are walking on a road to a town called Emmaus, and they can't figure out, they can't wrap their minds around what's going on. And then Jesus just kind of shows up, and he doesn't, he doesn't kind of make it real easy for them to figure out who he is, and, and he kind of pretends that he doesn't know what's going on. He says, hey, guys, what's, what's happening? Why, why the long faces? What's, what's going on? And they, they tell him about Jesus getting arrested and, and all the miracles he had done, and they, they talk about Jesus being crucified, and they're sad, and, and yet they can't figure out what's happening with this word of resurrection. And, and Jesus just begins to <laughs> explain to them, oh, well, don't you realize? And he explains to them all that was written in what we now call the Old Testament. And their eyes are open to discover that everything from the beginning of Genesis all the way through to the end is about Jesus. And it's a revelation about who he is. So I would love to be, you know, to, to be a fly on the, I guess, in the air or in the dust or on mm-hmm. the sandals on that walk uh, and hear about Jesus describing what scripture is all about that would have been amazing yeah because he he all we know that he said was that there's kind of a summation of what he said so jesus went through all of scripture explaining essentially how all of it pointed to him and how all of the things that happened to jesus were perfectly in line with what the scriptures said would happen so I, i i agree that that would have been fascinating to hear jesus follow the thread of the narrative throughout history to these guys who knew some that narrative. I mean, it wasn't like the Old Testament, what we call it now, was foreign to them. They just didn't see the thread. They didn't mm-hmm. understand what it was really all about. Well, I wish the Bible was it was named um, a different thing. You know, it's really this epic story. It's this it's it's a romance. It's a epic novel. It's this epic story of God's relentless pursuit of our hearts, and we we make it sound so boring, you know. And I I just wish that it was seen more as this this novel, this unveiling of the the most epic story um, in the history of the universe. Yeah, the last last week's podcast with Tim Levere, we. We talked. Uh, I, I talked a little bit about this film Arrival, which is about aliens mm-hmm. landing on Earth and and uh, human beings freaking out. What are they here for? They're, they're, the primary question they're asking is uh, to the aliens. They they they, ha- they have to find this out because they don't know what this visitation is about. So the the question is, what is your purpose here? And that question goes to the heart of. Hey, uh, are these aliens here for our good or for our destruction? And how do we respond to them if we don't understand their heart? Are they good or bad? And what do they intend here? So Tim and I were talking about this a little bit last week. And if you think about that that film as a metaphor for the problem facing God and the problem facing us, which is um, God is completely other than us. We know this because he doesn't live in time and he's... He's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's all of these things we are not. And in that way, experiencing a, a being, a person who lives outside of time, that alone is just unbelievable for us to imagine, just as it's unbelievable for us to 
conceive of how many galaxies there are in the world and how far they go. So how would that God translate his heart and intentions toward us when he is so other than us? And for the human beings, how would they understand someone who is so other than us about his intentions and his heart? And what I love about that metaphor that's buried in that film is that the central character is a linguist, a language expert who's trying to translate um, and make connection to the other. And in the gospel story, the story of the Bible, the translator is not pointing to a form of communication. He is the translation himself. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself is the one sent, the one incarnated into the world, the one who comes from the other but inhabits human form to be the translation itself of what the story of God is really all about. That's why I just keep going back to that John 14 story of Jesus trying to reassure his disciples as he's getting ready to go to the cross, and he's trying to tell them over and over again, if you've seen me, you've seen the God you can't see. If you study me, if you pay attention to me, you'll you'll see the God you can't see. It's so important to pay attention to my heart. And in that story of the road to Emmaus, that's what Jesus is really trying to do. He's trying to say that this story is centrally involving me and yeah. and my ability to translate to you in my very person what the heart and intentions of God is. It's as if he had spent millennia tilling the soil, preparing the ground so that he could come and be born in Bethlehem and then be able to say, look, everybody, all of this was in preparation for this moment, and the harvest is coming. And uh, <laughs> Jesus is called the Word of God. And, and the language used in John chapter 1 is the same language that's used in Genesis chapter 1. And it, it's as if God set it all up so that he could communicate with us um, who he is and what he's doing and how we get grafted into this amazing story of salvation. Um, it, is, it really is a living and active Word. See, that's what's amazing. If you if you begin to see the Bible as a narrative, that a story God is telling about His love for us and the extent to which He will go to reestablish an intimate relationship with us, if you begin to see it as a love story, then what's powerful about that too is that we are then a part of that story. No, our names are not written in in the pages of of the Bible that we have on our shelf or in, that's in front of us when we're at church, but we are actually integrated into the narrative of God's story as well, even though we don't appear in, in the Bible's pages. Right, and you know, and then, then it makes it a little bit more understandable that some of our family members that have gone before us, so to speak, oh, their stories are terrible. You can't read the book of Judges mm-hmm. without just being ashamed of humanity and like what is wrong with these people and you realize oh this is this is a story about the way god has worked with humanity and sometimes our ancestors or sometimes us we we have we haven't done very well in the story and uh so there there is real life in scripture there's raw reality there there is 
championed moments of celebration, and there's the utter lowest moments of the gutter. And there's raw moments with raw realities and language and, and violence and all the horrors of humanity. And there's all the joys and, and hopes and dreams of humanity. It's, it's almost as if somebody took a snapshot of the greatest moments of life and the most mundane, boring moments of life and put them all in Scripture to let us know that God is active in all of it. And so when we open up open up the Bible, you know, a lot of us go to it to try to get help for something we're going through, and we, we often read the Bible selfishly. But the Bible is, is even grander than helping us. The Bible is, is grand in revealing who God is and what He's done, and then how we get to be called into part of it. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Yeah, that, that's, that goes back to what Becky said before, that this shift in her life, going from mm-hmm. trying to read the Bible as a handbook for me mm-hmm. to reading the Bible as the story of God's intervention in real life, which, cha- you know, sometimes people approach the Bible as, well, the people in the Bible were all holy. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not about examples of people that we're, we're to follow their example. It's really the example of God in His heart in dealing with all kinds of people, and a lot of them look like us at both our best and worst moments. Yep. You know, one yep. thing... And, I, well, yep, go go ahead. ahead. Go ahead, Ken. I was going to say, and Jesus identifies with us Himself in our best and worst moments. It's The Bible is the story of God coming and living life in the fullest of humanity. And so our, our deepest, darkest depressions, where we feel totally forsaken and abandoned, Jesus embodied that, and he, he brought that upon himself mm-hmm. so, that, so that we would know everything we go through, Jesus is here to walk with us. And that's the story of Scripture. Jesus walks with us. From the book of Genesis with Adam and Eve and, and how life began and, and God coming to walk in the garden all the way through, Jesus wants to walk with us in the joys and the despairs and the, the trials and the, and the victories of life. Yeah, you know, Becky and I were talking about before we got on with you, Ken, uh, that uh, on youthministry.com, which is our website resource for youth pastors, um, we have um, contributor bloggers that, that post pieces to that. And and one of them is Teresa Maza, and she she just posted uh, uh, a, a blog piece that uh, I think has really captured you, Becky. Mm-hmm. It's kind of uh, stuck in you. Why, why don't you talk a little bit about that? Because it's really about this whole thing we're talking about is pr- approaching the Bible as a narrative, as a story. She's, she uses a very relatable story of, you know, when she was little, how all of every time the Bible was taught to her in, you know, a children's ministry kind of setting, it was about the stories, you know, and you learned fun little songs about Zacchaeus and you remembered the, you know, the lion's den and all of the, you know, Noah and Jonah. And they were all just told to you in such a, an imaginative and playful way. And then somewhere along the line of like maybe fifth or sixth grade, you start you start interacting with the Bible and it's being taught to you in a completely different way. It's all about how it applies to your life and what you need to learn, um, how to, how to live a Christian life, be a good little Christian, you know, girl or boy. And suddenly the story goes away and you're being taught single passages, maybe a couple passages, always with the intention of teaching you something that you need to learn how to do better. Um, in your life in order to live 
a good Christian life. And when the story goes away, she just talked about how she wrestled. She wrestled with the Bible after that. And, and then she found her way back because she realized that the Bible was a story and that she needed to start reading it that way. So I think we even have a tendency in, you know, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about, about being like children and what does it actually look like to be like children and children read stories and they play, they play with the stories and they sing and they, you know, they, mem- they, they think about things in a different way. And Jesus thinks it's super important for us to live in his kingdom, which means to live in the truths and values of his home culture. We must become like little kids. Um, he says it over and over again, approach all this like little children. And I think this directly uh, ties into what you're saying right now about uh, how to read the Bible as story. Let's talk about a couple more things um, here. One, Ken, I'm just curious. I know from how the experience of going through the Old Testament, finding uh, blue letters to highlight that point to Jesus, and then writing our little caption boxes to explain the connection. I said before, that was transformative for both of us. I'm curious to know um, for you, because this was such an extraordinary thing to do together, how did that impact your life and, and why? What what happened in you during that time? How, what did you discover about the Bible, Jesus, and yourself in that whole project that we did together? I, re- I remember turning to you once after one of probably one of your brilliant discoveries, <laughs> You're being uh, of kind. course. I'm sure it was one of yours. And, and I remember turning to you once and uttering out loud, I knew this was real. I knew it. And it's, it's like, I think people cherish the Bible, and they love the Bible, and they treat it with reverence because they know there's something really special about it. They know it has something to do with God's message to us. But, but maybe people don't know how to dive into it and, and how to read it. And I, I just remember turning to you and, and saying, I knew it was real. We were making so many beeline connections, you know, mm-hmm. where, where one genealogy, and we would never read a genealogy and find any fun in that, where it <laughs> lists all the names of people. And you just kind of roll your eyes and like, how is this the Word of God? And then you realize... These are people that set the stage Mm -hmm. for Jesus to come. These are people that moved into a town where Jesus would eventually be born. These are people that, like Judah, who are going to, the scepter will not depart from his hand, it says in Genesis, until the one who comes will carry it forever, right? And you realize later on in Revelations that the Lion of Judah has come onto the scene and he's the king of, of all of creation. And I just remember, Rick, just being blown away at how alive the Word of God was from beginning to end. That's and, and so, yeah, I think since then I've wanted to read Scripture with, um, with my will and my wit. So I, I want I want to jump into it with all of my my desire, and some days some days I don't have my desire focused on it in the right way, and I I'm not ready for it. But I, I really want to put my my all of my will power into reading scripture, and then I want to read it with wit, meaning uh, kind of like a witty sense of humor is when it's smart and responsive, and it's also a little surprising, right? 
it's it's active and engaged and you're expectant of something so i want to read scripture with wit meaning i want to dive in there and i want i want to see something uh, that maybe is a little unexpected. It's going to disorient me a little bit. It's going to jar me. It's not going to just bring me comfort. It's going, it's going to be responsive and quick and smart and a little bit surprising. And I, I think since you and I did that exercise together, going through the Old Testament, looking for Jesus, I've, I've read Scripture with even a renewed sense of vigor to, to see what kind of responsive action is going to take place in my encounter as I go into the Word. Yeah, it, and that's a great bridge into, um, you know, f- from our own lives, what, are, what, are, what have been some, some things that we have done that have helped to bring momentum and joy and deeper satisfaction reading the Bible. Before we, but before we uh, plunge into that final thing here, I, I, I have to say something from my own perspective about that time with you, Finding Blue Letters, I remember a moment, it was at night, when we had just had a moment like what you just described, where we found something that just was extraordinary, an extraordinary Mm -hmm. connection, that it felt like the air around us was electric. And I just remember both of us just started crying. Mm -hmm. And and maybe because we were tired, but but mostly because it was an extraordinary moment. And, And there was worship in the air. And uh, I remember the first time we did this, about the second day in, I remember hearing my wife, Bev, in the background calling our neighbor. And I thought, (laughs) what is she doing in the middle of this? She was calling our neighbors and other friends, and she was inviting them to come sit in the living room near where we were at the kitchen table and just listen to our conversation. She Uh said, she was saying to the, our neighbor, there's something extraordinary happening in my house right now. <laughs> you need to come over and, 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 and witness what's going on in our house right now. And, yeah. and occasionally people would stop by and linger and stop and listen to what was going on because we did yep. it all day long. It, there was something magnetic and attractive about the power of the mystery of God's word. So I'm going to, I'm going to interrupt for a second. I want to put a a little, little bug in our listeners ears. What you're hearing right now is two friends who decided to take this epic adventure together of discovering Jesus and his heart throughout the entire Bible. And they actually made it easy for you to do that. That's why we have the Jesus centered Bible. If you don't have a copy, you need to get one. But I want to just put a bug in, in, in your ear that you could do this with someone in your life as well. The Bible was actually, like Ken said, it was it was meant to be experienced in this way amongst kindred friends who had one goal, which is just to discover the heart of Jesus. And I, I think that you could, you could create your own retreat. You wouldn't have to do as much work. And, and this is not... These two guys are really smart. I I work with them, so I know they're really smart. But this is not a scholarly um, exploration. This is meant for anyone who desires to be a chaser of Jesus. So this this whole thing that you're hearing, it might sound enticing. It sounds really enticing to me. It's not just for Rick and Ken. It's for you too. So that's a little challenge. Thanks, Becky. So let's let's each of us give um, uh, something that has helped us to uh, fuel our own momentum with reading the Bible. And I'll just throw one out for myself. 
something that has transformed the way I read the Bible. It, it is connected to our conversation right now. I, and I help train other, other people, uh, ministry people and non-ministry people, how to read the Bible this way. Assume that all of the Bible is really about Jesus. And you can make that safe assumption because the Trinity has decided that the story of God is about Jesus because he is the translation between us and and uh, God's otherness. So assume that all of the Bible is about Jesus. So as you read, um, if you're reading in the New Testament, you're slowing down and paying ridiculous attention to Jesus because the point is to understand his heart as a translator. The, the epistles are really uh, what it looks like when you live your life as an all-in disciple of Jesus. What does that look like? Uh, it's, it's not always clean. It's messy. Uh, so the epistles are about that. But the Old Testament, um, when I read the Old Testament, I'm always thinking, how does this point to something that's true about Jesus or point to something that actually happened to Jesus on earth or foretell something that would happen? How is this passage I'm reading, could it be connected to Jesus? In fact, if I was a preacher and I had to preach about this particular verse in the Old Testament, how, what would I do to connect it to Jesus when I did? So this is just a filter I've developed, and now this is the way I read the Bible. And it's not that hard to learn how to do this. If you've done it a few times, it's not a switch you can turn off anymore. So that's my my tip for Bible reading. Always be thinking through the filter of, if all of the Bible points to Jesus, how is this pointing to Jesus right now? Ken, what about you? What's what's something that you might suggest that would be a help? Well, I I think for some people who maybe don't know the background of some of the books in the Bible, it would be really useful to maybe even just look up online really quick. If you want to read something about Jesus in the book of Luke, let's say, which is one of the one of the main books that talks about Jesus's life, <laughs> uh, do do a really quick research just to kind of find out who Luke was and and how this came to be, and put yourself in the context of, of Israel 2,000 years ago. I think learning a little bit about the people that, that are a part of the narrative of Scripture could, could help some of it come to life. So when Jesus gives some parables, uh, they make a little bit more sense. Or when Jesus says, um, pay to Caesar what is Caesar's, <laughs> and to the Lord what is the Lord's, right? I, I think that context could help. Mm-hmm. But then, so, so researching some of that, getting more familiar with, with the book of the Bible. But then also, when you read Scripture, read it with an expectation of running into God and, and meeting Jesus mm-hmm. there. And, and finding out what he is all about and asking him expectantly, tell me more about this, Jesus. So make it a living encounter. Uh, it can be a prayerful moment. It is a reverent book, but it's a very real, raw, personal conversation, a, a revelation from God to us about what he's up to. And so his spirit works through that. And um, so read it expectantly. Yeah, and th- in my story of the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, what I discovered is the Spirit really wanted me to understand the Bible. <laughs> yeah. So, and, you know, and I'll just throw this out on the heels of what you said, too. If we can watch The Bachelor and then go to a website to learn about the backstories of the people on The Bachelor, that's essentially the same thing you're saying. Find out the context. Uh, what, what is this person's story? What's the context around them? So if we can do that with The Bachelor... I bet we could do with the Bible. So, so Becky, what about you? 
Well, I'm just going to add a little bit on to both of those ideas. And if you have been in the habit of always going to the Bible to apply it to you, I'm not saying that you can't learn. We learn lots of things about um, ourselves from the Bible, but if that's primarily how you go to the Bible, take try to take yourself out of that. Try when you're when you're doing this experience. Um, I, for many years, I had a tendency as soon as I opened up the Bible, the first thing that start that happened was suddenly I'm in my prayer journal admitting what a failure I am <laughs> and asking for forgiveness. And I'm missing the whole story because I keep going back to, to applying it to me. And so try, try during that time of discovering Jesus, even though it's our, it's, it's in our nature, we just immediately want, we want a formula. We want something to follow. Just try to take yourself out of the equation and just focus on the heart of God and what he's trying to show you about him. That's good. And one mm-hmm. one more little uh, tidbit about the Jesus Center Bible. Ken, uh, Ken actually created a through the Bible reading plan that you can follow so to, to learn about Jesus throughout all of the Bible. It's it's very simple and I've heard many people say, "Wow, this has really helped me to understand the the bigger narrative." So that's another little plug for one of the features that's in the Bible. So That's great. And I I like that. And and one of the things I like about it, Rick, and I like about the the whole way the Bible, the Jesus Center Bible was put together is that it it's not an answer book. It it doesn't just provide all the easy things to understand so that people don't have to read the words of scripture anymore. <laughs> we what we want is is to encourage people to jump into the words of the Bible and to discover on their own. So even that reading plan has some has some chapters and some passages that if you if you're looking for a quick easy understanding, it might not be there right away. You we actually want you to, to jump into it and have a conversation with God and ask, Jesus, reveal yourself to me in this. Reveal to me your story. Reveal to me what you're up to. Uh, help me to see you. And I, I think we can do that for all of eternity, and we're going to wake up every day of eternity, you know, and we'll still be going, Jesus, I didn't know that about you. That's, that's amazing. That's so So good. we just get to fall in love with Jesus every day for all of eternity. And this is just the... The appetizer, so yeah. to speak. I love that. So, uh, listener friends, thanks so much for joining us again this week. Um, just to just to uh, reframe this again, Ken, who you've been listening to during this time, is a Crown College professor of Christian Ministry Studies, and he's author of Grow Down, which is a fantastic book for students if you have teenagers in your home. Um, uh, you'll get it for them and then read it on your own because it'll help you too. And he also wrote a devotional book called Make a Difference, which is a 365-day devotional, really an excellent companion for your daily life with Jesus. So we so appreciate you, you friends listening. And remember, you can find out more information about all of this that we've talked about today in further detail on the thejesuscenteredlife.com. And you can find our podcast section there. It's this one's season two, episode 10. And again, it's paying ridiculous attention to Jesus. This is a podcast brought to you from Lifetree. So subscribe to us on iTunes for all of the latest podcasts. And gang, we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.